never look at your sick town or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live weeknights, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. And, of course, you can watch us live on YouTube. Just go to HagmanandHagman.com, click on the well, the show for today, and there you have it. And, of course, all of our archives are accessible via our our website, HagmanandHagman.com, and, of course, on our uh, official YouTube channel, as well as BTR and Global Star. And don't forget, folks, we do have two separate websites, one for the show, HagmanandHagman.com, one for news and information, that's HagmanReport.com. And, um, uh, well, it's uh, actually, and, and, i, I got to make this announcement. <laughs> Glad to let everyone know, we just opened up our, our Internet web store. And, actually, I think you're, uh, uh, you're going to find it pretty interesting. If you go to HagmanReportStore.com, there you can get some uh, some quality gear. Uh, for example, a, a, just a wonderful backpack if you want to be carrying around Pastor David Langford's books or Steve Gwell's uh, voluminous works. This backpack is for you as well as a 17-inch computer. That's HagmanReportStore.com, HagmanReportStore.com. Brand new grand opening today. So, uh, we, folks, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm. With fellow investigator, researcher, and, of course, my son, Joe Hagman, together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. And we've got a great show for you planned. I'm going to turn it over to Joe. And, Joe, you got the message of the order today, right? Uh, the order, batting order? The batting order, yes, I yeah, do. Okay. All right, so let's bring on our guest tonight. Uh, tonight we have Steve Quill from com and Pastor David Langford from thevoiceofevangelism.com. And we're going to turn it over to Pastor Langford to get started. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Joe. And as always, it's a joy to be with my dear friend, Steve Quayle. And uh, we're going to be talking tonight about Romans 1 and 28, 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And something for, that's been burning in my spirit for the last three or four weeks is the fact they did not like to retain God in their knowledge or in their conscience. It's evident that this nation, its leadership, ministry, politicians, government, everyone for the most part, other than the true church, is losing their God consciousness. Uh, if you go back to John chapter 8, the woman that was caught in adultery, they brought her to Christ, of course, and you know, asked him, what did the law say uh, when you were caught in the act of adultery? What did the Mosaic law say? Of course, was stoning, of course. But then he said, let him that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And, of course, he stooped down on the ground, and he began to write something. The Bible says in verse 9 there of John chapter 8, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out, one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now what is so powerful about that is the Bible said, And they which heard it, what did they hear? They heard the word of God. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And they being convicted by their own conscience. In other words, they were still at a place and a state where they had a God consciousness. Paul in 1 Timothy 1 and 19, holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul is making us aware of the fact that if you continue to disregard God, disregard His Word, we then have the ability to lose our God consciousness. Just as soon as Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit in the garden, something happened to their consciences. They became aware of both good and evil. Prior to their fall, they knew nothing about sin. They knew nothing about evil. But just as soon as they partook of that tree of good and of evil... The Bible says that God said in Genesis 3:22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Now they have knowledge. Now they have knowledge. Now, the knowledge, of course, was of good and of evil, right and wrong. And they had an awareness, a consciousness. But seemingly, in the last few years, the consciousness of this nation... Its leadership, ministers, ministries, is all but gone. And of course, when you lose your God consciousness, you then will call evil good and good evil, bittersweet, sweet for bitterness. You'll put darkness for light and light for darkness. And it's all because, Paul said, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Uh, Psalms 10.4 
The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Every day as Christians, Joe, Doug, Steve, we're confronted. We're tempted to tell a lie, to take something, to say something, to do something. Uh, Pornography, alcohol, drugs, whatever the case might be. But if we retain a God consciousness... Something deep within us will say, you can't do that. And if you do do that, and you still have a God consciousness, a God awareness, the Holy Spirit has the ability to reprove and to rebuke you, as Paul said in Romans 2, 4, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, the Spirit of God say, Joe, you need to repent of that. That was not right. That was evil. You know better than that. You knew better than that, but you did it anyway. But having a God consciousness, a God awareness, we have to admit, I was wrong, and I'm going to repent and ask God to forgive me. And if I can reconcile the matter with my neighbor, my brother, my friend, my sister, the business deal I lied about or I stole or whatever, we'll go back and we'll make restitution. Because we have a God consciousness. We are retaining the knowledge of God in our Consciousness. Now, I love my Baptist brethren, but uh, we disagree on the unconditional eternal security. But Paul said, again in Romans one twenty-eight, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now, to help you out, if you have a strong exhaustive concordance, you can find that in it's number 96 and your strong, exhaustive concordance. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want you to get that. Lest I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now here's what's ironic. The word castaway and the word reprobate are the two same, it's the same word in the Greek. Adokimos, A-D-O-K-I-M-O-S. It simply means you are unapproved, you are unworthy, and you have an abominable mind or a mind that is abhorred by God. So, once a man loses his God consciousness, his God awareness, he'll begin to say things, do things that he normally would not do. A child, a child at three years old already has a God consciousness, a God awareness. And we know that because we've never taught our children to lie. But they have a conscience knowing right and wrong. So when they know they're not to go get the chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar... And they know you're not watching, That they go, they take it, and they eat it, and then you confront them with the chips on their face, the chocolate, and you say, have you been in the cookie jar? The child knows right and wrong, and of course the child lies and says, no, I've not been in the cookie jar. Why? Because they have a God consciousness, and they're making a decision whether to tell the truth or whether to tell a lie. And they know if they tell the truth, it's an omission of guilt, and of course there may be some discipline, and of course we don't want that. So the child lies, 
to say, no, I did not. But, of course, the guilt is all over their face, and the evidence is there by the chocolate chip cookies. Well, that's what's happened to America. We have the ability to override our God consciousness. I was telling Steve earlier in conversation this morning, we were talking about the program tonight. Stephen said to the Pharisees in Acts chapter 7, Why do you always resist the Holy Ghost? Even as your fathers resisted, so do ye. First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 19, Paul said, And quench not the Spirit. In other words, don't put the Spirit out that will convict your consciousness. And then, of course, Ephesians 4.30, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until that day of redemption. So we have three ways. We can resist, we can quench, and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And the more a person quenches, the more a person grieves, and, and, and the more the person uh, does that, the more easily... They cross boundaries and borders and lines and are able to do them without any fear or trepidation whatsoever in their heart. That's why Proverb 1-7 said, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The principal part of knowing who God is is to fear Him. Why? Because there is coming a day of accountability for every one of us. Romans 14-11, It is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, Every tongue shall confess unto God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. And, of course, in Romans 2, 1, Paul said, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Now, there will be those out there who will say, Well, I don't believe in God. Well, there's a holiday for you. It's called April Fool's Day. Because Romans, uh, Psalms 14, 1 said, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. To deny that there is no God is absolutely as foolish as it can be. And so we witnessed our nation in the last decade. We know we have a lying imposter in the White House. Nobody's willing to stand up and admit the truth and address the truth and make it public knowledge. He himself will eulogize Reverend Pinckney in Charleston, South Carolina on Thursday and break out singing Amazing Grace and then go to the White House on Friday night and put the sodomite rainbow colors on the White House. Now you ask now let me ask you, does that man have a God consciousness? When one moment he can talk about the amazing grace of God, but yet he can celebrate sodomy at the same time. This man, like many other men, does not retain God in his knowledge. When Hillary Clinton was asked, do you always tell the truth? Well, I, I try to. Listen, you either tell the truth or you don't. The, uh, Bill Clinton, when they asked him a particular question, he said, it depends on what the word is means. And he helped me to understand fully what Jesus meant when he said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Just give me a yes or a no. But see, today, because of our consciousness, or lack of one, we've lost the ability to confront the truth and answer yes or no. And this is what Paul said, I'm going to give it to Steve. In 1 Timothy 4.1, this can only happen to Christians, folks. Now listen to me. I know I'll make some of my Baptist brothers mad, but I still love you. But only this can happen to a Christian. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. 
The Greek says the Holy Ghost would be outspoken. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What happened to their conscience? They lost it. They lost their God consciousness. And thus, because they lost their God consciousness, they were then able, as Paul said, they depart from the faith. I cannot depart from Chicago O'Hare Airport unless I'm there. I cannot fall from grace unless I've been in grace. I cannot fall off the back of a truck unless I'm on the back of a truck. And this is the danger of advocating, appropriating false doctrine. You know, I had a, a, a real confrontation a few weeks ago with a lot of people about John MacArthur when he said a man could take the mark of the beast and still be saved in the Great Tribulation period. But you see, that man is a heretic. That man is a reprobate. That man is apostate. And he does not retain God in his knowledge because he absolutely refutes the authority of the Word of God. Now you say, how can you be that brazen and say that? Well, Revelation 14, verse 9 through 11, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of his indignation. In other words, God is not going to water down his wrath whatsoever. And he, the person that takes the mark of the beast, or worships the image, or has the mark in his forehead, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. How long is forever and ever? It's just that long. It's eternity. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience, or the consciousness of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This man says, you can take the mark of the beast and still get saved in the Great Tribulation. Now, either God is lying to us, or man is lying to us. Somebody is lying to us. Romans 3, 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. If you have a good conscience, and you are judged... You'll be found innocent because you've, uh, you've let the Word of God abide in you, and you've abided in the Word of God. And so you're going to hear more and more preachers tell more and more lies. Matthew 24, 5, Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You're going to see our politicians become more apostate, more reprobate. I mean, it's unbelievable how many people told us before Obamacare, you like your doctor, you keep your doctor and would repeat those lies over and over and over again. How can a man do that? He has no God consciousness. His conscience is now become a reprobate, seared, and he no longer has knowledge of God. So Paul said, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't, they didn't like to, they don't want to. 
He says, okay, is that what you want? Then he gave them over to a reprobate mind and to do those things which are not convenient. In other words, they then begin to cross all the forbidden boundaries and margins and guidelines that God has said man is not to cross. And uh, they're crossing every one of them further and further and further and yet have the audacity to say, but I'm still a Christian. I'm still a child of God. Yeah, I might be a sodomite, but I'm a child of God. I might be an adulterer, but I'm a child of God. The only way you can do that is when you've lost your consciousness of God. I, I can't do that and, and say that because I have a conscience. And, and, and I can't allow myself to admit that in the words that I'm an adulterer, but yet say, well, I'm still a Christian. Paul was clear. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're in a very dangerous and tenuous state, and I'm not so certain about this fall, uh, about what's going on here right now, because this nation is truly becoming a nation that does not like to retain God in the knowledge. Steve, I'm going to give it to you, brother. One of the things that's really important, everyone, is in 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I want to take you to Proverbs 8, and then we're going to go to Nahum 3, because, again, this is what David was talking about, wisdom. And wisdom is a person, just as the resurrection is a person. And tonight I think we're going to share some amazing stuff from the Word of God. You know... The, the thing that people have got to understand is that in Him, through Him, and by Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have everything. But what really frosts my cake, that's a, that's a kinder way I'm going to bake now instead of I'm going to just talk about a recipe terms. The thing that bakes my cake is the fact that it's the sh I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And yet the shame of the gospel is being placed upon all Christians like you, like I have done something. You probably read the story, everyone, about the buses in uh, in uh, London now because they've got a mayor who's a Muslim basically proclaiming Allah is great. Well, if you read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that's a pretty big commandment. So I want to read Proverbs 8, and then we'll go to uh, Nahum chapter 3. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Remember, we just uh, read in First Corinthians that Jesus Jesus is the wisdom of God. She stands on the top of high places by the way in the places of the paths. She cries at the gates, at the entry to the city, and at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be of an understanding heart. For here and I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination of my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or forward, excuse me, or 
are perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and write to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all things that may be desired, desired are not to be compared to it. It's talking about Jesus is better than it all. I wisdom. I what I did, Pastor Langford, Doug, and Joe. I just I just put I wisdom and then put Jesus in parentheses. Dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Now here is a key: the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. And the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Now listen to this. By kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yea, than fine gold. And my revenues than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I might cause the those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord, possess, he's talking about God the Father, possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Be before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Well, as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a, set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea, the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth, now of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, refuse it not. Blessed is a man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Now here it is, for whoso findeth me findeth life, and thou shalt obtain the favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Now again, when Jesus said the whole world lies in the evil one, I think it's really important to understand that you can put that two ways, that you make your bed in it or that you absolutely uh, lie in the evil one. I believe that because Jesus is the truth, the way of the life, the light of the world, when men reject him, they basically reject totally the truth. So what you've got is a nation of liars. I said this years ago, Pastor, I think when I first started on Talk Radio, you used to hear me. Truth in America is one man lies to it, uh, another group of people uh, swear to it, and then everybody says, hallelujah, brother, or something along those lines. Now, I want to share this in Ezekiel. I'm going to be talking about tears later on because it's really critical, but it says, does not wisdom cry, Ezekiel 9, 3 through 6. 
And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to a man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in my hearing, Go ye therefore, go ye after him through the city, and smite, let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is a mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Now you jump forward in the New Testament, Peter says, If judgment begins at the house of God, what will become of uh, those outside the house? And what I what I want to share with you tonight is the fact that I want everyone, because this has been troubling me, Pastor Doug and Joe, I want everyone to really be honest with the Lord tonight, because I can tell you this, as a woeful sinner, I learned early in life that God knows of my sins, so I might as well confess them and get them over with right away and and ask the Lord to cleanse me. But when's the last time you cried out for all the abominations that be done in the city, in the state, in this country? Abominations. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, yet we allow Anubis to come in, the Egyptian god. We allow gates of hell and gates of Baal to be erected. Uh, People sit in dead uh, mausoleums and uh, listen to a dead sermon. Uh, Ichabod has been written over the majority of churches in the land. Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. And, and people don't understand there's a difference between the presence of the Lord and the presence of worldliness. Any man who thinks that friendship with the world is favor with God is in gross ignorance. I've heard Pastor Doug and Joe that people say, well, I've got to be friends with those sinners so I can really let my light shine. I said, you will be brought to your knees before you will bring them to their knees and repent. That's a powerful statement. I shared with Pastor Langford the other day something that went on in my spirit late at night. And it was really troubling to me because it made so much sense. It was so simple. Those I love will be persecuted by those I reject. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And he said, those who have uh, uh, will persecute you are the ones who once claimed to know me. I remember saying this, Doug, Joe, and Pastor Langford, that when it comes to the end of the age, unbelief will persecute faith. Now, I want you to listen to Nahum 3, and this is critical, because, again, people say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. That doesn't apply to us. I believe the Word of God is to all people of all nations at all time. Man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. I think you could put in Washington, Chicago, any major city there and be right on. Bloody. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and the jumping chariots. The horseman lifts up both the bright sword and the glittering spear, and there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses, and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Now think about that. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Be 
Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame. I believe that's going on right now. We've become a hissing in the uh, nostrils of the nations around us. Here it is. People wonder, well, how much more filthy can we become as a nation? And this is God speaking. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile, and will set thee as a gazing stock. Even the pagans around the world are astonished at what's going on in this country. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee, and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? Art thou better than the populace? No, that was uh, situated among the rivers, that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put in Lubin were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. Thou shalt seek strength because of the enemy. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. That's happening every time our military encounters the Russians or the Chinese or anybody. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. How's that, David? Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thy enemies, and the fire, the fire shall devour thy bars. Now, everyone, listen. This is already happening in Europe. It's already happening there, and it's here, ready to happen here. And Doug uh, and Joe, I don't know if you listened to me in the old days, but I, I really believe that everything will happen in London first and in England, then filter through to us. Now, listen, this is amazing. This is really amazing. Behold again, verse 13, all the people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of that land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire and fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify the strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brickland. There shall the, I'm sorry, there shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the cankerworm. Make thyself uh, many as a cankerworm. Make thy Thyself many as a locust. Now look at this. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The cankerworm spoileth and fleeth away. Thy crowned are as locusts, and thy captains are great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedge in the old cold. Excuse me, in the cold day. But when the sun arises, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathered them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap thy hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness pass continually? Again, I would ask you, have you cried out to God? Have you said, Lord, spare your people? Have you said, Lord, spare my wife, spare my children, my grandchildren? 
But David, unfortunately, sin hardens the heart. And what's fascinating is that I see, obviously, this applied to Nineveh, obviously applied to the Assyrians. But what's more important is, is that we follow. It's not that history so much repeats itself, but the controllers of history are making sure that the end result of all is the destruction of God's image and likeness in his people. We are at war, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a battle that is transcendent uh, beyond anything that we can really understand except God give us a revelation. Listen to this, and and I'm going to read Hebrews 5, 6, and uh, go from there, and I'll hand it back to you, David. As he saith also, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, was strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the thing which he suffered. Talking about Jesus. So... My question is, where are the tears? And do you understand the importance of tears? Where is a crying out? Because in the in Proverbs chapter eight, we just heard, does not wisdom cry? Does she not lift up her voice? But do we lift up our voice? No. There are, there are some men who do. Forgive me. There are some women who do. But to a large degree, we are the ones who are watching everything we've known, everything we've been blessed with everything we believed, those who we honor stripped away. doesn't matter if it's the living God. doesn't matter if it's Jesus, the ultimate and only redeemer of mankind. It doesn't matter if, we, you know, people will quote the Ten Commandments and think that by keeping the commandments they're righteous before God. And it goes on and on and on. Where is the end of it? Well, the end of it is right before, because it's not the end of the world. It's the end of the age. And the rich of the world scurry to their uh, cubby holes, to their underground bunkers, to all their secret labyrinths, all the different caves. And what's fascinating is, is that every day more and more wickedness uh, comes. Remember Nahum. Ask the Lord to reveal that to you. God is the one that pours out abominable filth because we will not repent of our lewdness. Go ahead, Pastor. Thank you, Steve. It's just so important. I think that people remember what Steve was reading there from in Romans, I mean, uh, Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord. People have lost that. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And regretfully, that, that is totally gone. It's, it's kind of amusing in a sense, but yet it's a God tonight having Steve and I so much in the Old Testament. And I know we'll get questions, well, you guys don't believe in the law. I believe in the law, but I don't live under the law. All the law teaches me is that I'm wrong. But nowhere in the Ten Commandments do I find anything that redeems me. But two particular passages of Scripture in my heart is from Hosea 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Again, that's what I've been saying. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And so God has a controversy because they has, there's no truth, there's no mercy, there's no knowledge of God. 
But here's what's going on. Verse 2, by swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. There's the profuse shedding of innocent blood. Abortion is going on constantly. I just read the other day there's a new form of abortion up to the third trimester where they go in and they shoot literal chemicals into the baby's heart to stop the heart beating. It's supposed to be a little bit more humane just to stop the heart. Then you take the child out of the mother's womb. And so we're witnessing it grow more and more and more. And, of course, I'm so tired of hearing the, the, the concept, well, it's my body, I can do what I want to with it. What about that child's body? What about that child who God created? God made that. That, that. that conception was allowed by God. And only God confers life. And yet men think they have the, the mindset of God to take life when they want to. Hosea chapter 7, verse 1. And, and before I read that, the reason I, I, I say we're in the Old Testament is just because we're in the Old Testament does not mean it's not applicable to us today. When you read 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be perfect or mature, truly furnished unto all good works. Now we take the entirety of the Bible. We take the entirety of the Bible and we rightly divide it. And much of the Old Testament can be rightly divided in the very dispensation and time which we are presently living in. Because man, I don't care if he's Chinese, Japanese, European, Asian, American, whatever, the nature is the same because it is a sin nature. And the sin nature is going to do ungodly things. That's what sin does. Sin is the transgression of God's laws, God's commandments. Whatever God, just like he said, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. Well, if you don't do that, then you're transgressing the commandment of God. So we take what's in the old, we take what's in the new, and then we rightly divide them. Because there's a lot of Old Testament Bible prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled, which will also be carried over into the millennial reign of Christ. Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, these prophecies are going to be carried over to the second advent of Christ, when the, the, uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and the lion will eat... Uh, hay, straw, like an ox. They'll go back to their nature as they were intended in the beginning. But sin is what brought all of this death and decay and ruin. But Hosea 7 and 1, when I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered, and the wickedness of Samaria. And they committed falsehood, and the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoileth without. That's exactly what's happening to this nation. This is, this is all by design by Satan to destroy any measure of godliness in this nation. The, 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 the people that have come to 
serve this nation and, and the government. And, and the reason I'm concerned right now about this election this fall is because we do have a majority, if you want to say that, in the Congress, but in the Senate we could not ratify anything without a two-thirds majority. And now we're at a, a, a place where we're at a split 50-50 in the Supreme Court justices. Now let's just assume there is a catastrophic, chaotic event. And so it goes to the judicial part of the government to adjudicate a matter. We're deadlocked. What does this do then? This creates an emperor. This creates a king. And this is exactly what Obama would like to see happen. You see, this is this is not by happenstance. This was not by design. When Athenaeus Scalia said, we're one Supreme Court justice away from the loss of the Constitution, he knew what he was talking about. He knew that they would commit falsehood and that they would kill and they would steal. So this is where we've been brought to as a nation. Now let me pick it back up here in Hosea chapter 7, verse 2. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Uh, what's the old cliche? Payback is terrible. Payback is bad. Well, God says, I remember all their wickedness. How does God remember? He's, he's, he's taking an account. He's keeping a record of all the wickedness. Now, their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They're on devices. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. As Steve said, another one man lies, another backs it up, pats him on the back, say, yeah, that's great, that's wonderful. Every time a sodomite comes out, Obama says, hey, we're proud of you, we're glad for you, we're, we're happy. He's going to put up this gay monument. Idols, you see, that's an idol. See, uh, Romans one twenty five who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. They're going to worship idols. You say, well, we're, we're not that paganistic. Why would you make an, an idol, a statue, a monument? That's all that is. And they're going to magnify and glorify and esteem sodomy. They are all adulterers as an oven heated by the baker who ceaseth from rising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven. Whilst they lie in wait, their baker sleepeth all the night, and the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven, and have devoured their judges, all their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth unto me. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. And, and what that simply means is, he's you, like a pancake. You, you, you cook it so long on one side, and then you flip it over, cook it over on the other side, and you got a pancake. What he's saying is they're half-baked. And it's, it's uneatable. So he, he's describing Israel, Ephraim, 
the state of being half-baked in every sense of the word. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. This nation is no longer strong. Strangers have devoured our strength. Yea, gray hairs are here, and they're upon him, yet he knoweth not. In other words, there's no wisdom. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a, a hoary head or a white hair is a sign of wisdom. Does there seem to be any element of wisdom? And Steve alluded to that profusely. Is there, is there seemingly any wisdom anywhere in the land? There seems to be absolutely no wisdom at all. Wisdom is the ability to dispense your knowledge. You can be smart and have a vast amount of knowledge, but have a lack of wisdom and having the ability to dispense that knowledge correctly, appropriately at the right time. There are times when you need to keep your mouth closed, but because you have a lack of wisdom, you open your mouth anyway. We've all confronted that in the past. We've seen people do things and say things when they lacked wisdom. And by the way, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is the gift of wisdom. I don't know that there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't pray James 1, 5. God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Why? Because of the chicanery and the trickery that's in this world. I've never seen such a time when everything is under the auspices of a charlatan, uh, hypocritical type of a spirit. There's, there's seemingly truth in nothing. It's like... We have all forsaken people, and as Steve said, not all of us. There are those of us who still pray. We still fast. We still cry out to God. But we continue to watch the hypocrisy. And and, and I know uh, personally the world is shrewd. The world is cunning. And you have to be led by the Holy Ghost if you're not going to be snared by what's coming. Jesus in Luke eight, uh, Luke 16 and 8 said, For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, that's almost a condescending statement if you look at it in the natural. But when you look at it in the spirit, you understand what God is saying. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. What does he mean by that? We as Christians, we don't lie, we don't rob, we don't cheat, we don't steal. We don't do anything to get into a place dishonestly. We get there because of God's favor. We get there because we're honest. We get there because we have integrity. But we would never forfeit our integrity at the expense of getting a promotion through dishonesty. We just, we just wouldn't do that. We, 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 we will not compromise. So God is speaking, of course, through the prophet Hosea. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. We, we, don't, we don't seem to have any knowledge. I, I, I was thinking the other day as I, I listened to the, 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 the children that are running for presidents, the, the, the chatter, the clamor, the noise. These are not dignitaries. 
These are not men of prudence, men of wisdom. The Bible says, answer not a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. I've never heard so many foolish statements and, and things being said and things being done. Because there's no wisdom. No, nobody seems to have wisdom. And, and wisdom is power. Wisdom is strength. Wisdom is grace. Wisdom says, just be still right now and don't do anything. I'm in control. I, I, I've got this under control. Don't do anything of your own will and volition. And, of course, I want to close with the 10th verse here in Hosea 7. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. And they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Though we are witnessing, we are witnessing the total collapse, the total demise, and what Steve said happening in Europe first. The great cathedrals, the great uh, chapels, the, the, the great august buildings that one time were filled and full of these great preachers in the 18th century, these buildings are set, setting dormant, setting empty. Why? Because people no longer have any faith or any kind of a walk with God. Churches in America are shutting down by the thousands, by the literal thousands. Preachers are quitting by the thousands. They're giving up. They're saying it's not worth the fight anymore. But this is a good fight. We must continue to fight. First Timothy 6 and 12, Paul said... Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life. We have got to keep fighting. We've got to lay hold and seize eternal life. Because in every one of us, we have a spirit and a soul. And the spirit and the soul will spend eternity somewhere. And the question is very simple. Where will you spend eternity? Wisdom says... You better seek God's face. But yet Hosea said, though they see all of this taking places, our strength is, is devoured, and we don't even know it. We have no wisdom in the land, yet we're proud and we're arrogant, we're self-righteous, we're bigoted. And though we witness all of this, he said they fail to seek God. And, and I don't want to be one of those kind of persons or one of those kind of Christians that fails to seek God. If we seek God, Deuteronomy 4.29, he said, when you seek me with all of your heart, he said, you'll find me. And, and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take getting back and seeking God. And as you seek God, that's a determination to retain the knowledge of God and not fall from that. Joe, I'm going to give it back to you guys. I know we're getting close to the top of the hour. Indeed we are. Uh, and, and folks, this is, you know, it's a good time to know. Uh, tonight's program is a good example of, of just staying out of the way. We've got two fantastic guests on. Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com, Steve Quayle, stevequayle.com. And, uh, I'm going to urge everyone to, uh, tune into the Jim Baker show this week. Gary Haven was on today. Uh, and Pastor Langford and Steve Quayle will be both on, uh, uh, this week, it's my understanding, and uh, I can I stand corrected if, if necessary, Pastor Langford or Steve. But uh, uh, it appears we'll that, talk that, about that after case. the break. They they All changed right. some Indeed. things on us there, Doug. Uh, okay, okay, very good, very good. At, at any rate, uh, again, our, our guests are Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism dot com, and Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. dot com. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, this is uh, hour one. 
They will be with us for the whole show. We'll be right back after these short messages with Steve Quayle and Pastor David Langford. Again, uh, the Jim Baker Show. Also, Amerigeddon. Yes, yes. By the way, folks, got a chance to watch that this weekend. Amerigeddon, the movie. More to say on that at a different time, but uh, indeed, what a great movie. Folks, stay with us. Steve Quayle, Pastor David Langford. Blessed to have him. Just getting started. This is the Global Star Radio Network. You may look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood blood. back, ladies and gentlemen, to this hour of the Hagman and Hagman Reporter. Very special guest, Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com, Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com, both just tremendous men of integrity. You know, Pastor Langford was saying something earlier, and this is, I guess, what I was attempting to articulate, Joe, when uh, last week, at, at, at any given time last week, the the lack of statesmanship shown um, by the, the presidential candidates. Now, Look, I understand passion. I understand all of that. I understand. Um, I, I I get the the refreshing attitude, for example, that Donald Trump portrays, and the and the um, people are are flocking to him. But but don't forget that happened under Obama too, uh, as well. Because well, you just re- folks, you remember that the entire. 2008 debacle, perhaps, if, if you're over the age of 21, uh, you should at least have some good memory of it. But don't forget how everyone wanted an, an abrupt and immediate change. Well, that just that happened. We're seeing the same thing play out over again here with the, uh, with the, with the candidates to the extent where everyone is calling for change. Now, consider that they called for change in 1930s Germany as well. So there's a lot of things to consider. That is not to say that any one candidate, for example, I'm, I'm not disparaging Donald Trump, so please don't send me emails saying I am. I'm just pointing out this, to me, what appears to be this this um, vacuum of 
diplomacy, statesmanlike conduct, but coupled with that, and perhaps equally, if not most importantly, is the lack of addressing the spiritual vacuum that America has, uh, America is currently is uh, embroiled in, or even worse, perhaps, is the takeover, the, the kicking out of the Judeo-Christian ethic, morality, spirituality, and, and now we're seeing this this Islamic uh, bias and and the the flash or the the whiplash uh, against the Islamic bias is going to be severe, and perhaps they will use that. When I say they, I'm talking about the powers that be. We'll use that as a to say, hey, we can't have this, so we are going to really outlaw all monotheistic religions. You will adhere to a state religion in the manner that uh, that happened back in 1930s Germany, ultimately under under the reign of, of Hitler. Now, again, I'm not comparing anything except the times, the landscape, the geography, the political geography, that is. So it's just something to think about. Um, when we when we talk about the elections, Joe, we can bring the, the guests on. Uh, if, I believe. Yeah, with us is Pastor David Langford and Steve Quayle. We're going to turn it over to Steve in this hour number two. Well, I want to take everybody to Nimrod for the time being because it's interesting. I'll quote Josephus, but most people don't realize that number 13 is a number of rebellion. And Nimrod was a 13th from Adam. Now, if you want to read a really outstanding uh, revelation of all this, go to the Daily Crow. I just posted, I think it's the top, either the first or second article and on my uh, hot links. But I want to read this. And again, this is amazing because here's what people don't understand he is well understood as an archetype of the final world ruler in other words Nimrod who began to become a Giborim okay in uh, Strong's uh, 1368 it has multiple meanings but what was interesting is he was a mighty hunter before the Lord wherefore it is said even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord Nimrod sought to be as God Tom Hornty and I believe it's right that there was a transformation in Nimrod. My guess is, obviously, uh, you know, he was the 13th from Adam, but somebody somewhere saw the pride in his heart and obviously began to transform him. Now, Josephus writes this. He wrote, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was a grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man, and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. When the state takes the place of God, tyranny comes and people die, okay? Constant dependence on his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Now, I maintain that Nimrod's forefathers, that something happened in the lineage of Cush. That word mighty literally means he began to become a giborim. It's one of the translation is giants and or a tyrant. And by the way, the word tyranny and tyrant are always referred 
to the Giants. And uh, it's interesting that even referred, people always ask me about uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, the root word of Tyrannosaurus is, or Tyron means, you know, dangerous or t- uh, tyrannical lizard, dangerous lizard. So it's fascinating to me that as we're talking about this tonight, David, that Nimrod and his rebellion is the, if you will, the root of the evil that the Antichrist system is now undergoing and formation. That's what we're fighting against. And remember this, Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. He hunted the righteous. He killed the righteous. He butchered the righteous. He ate the righteous. Those are all the uh, attributes of a fallen angel or a I would say this, something, a transformed uh, individual that had all the appetites of hell. Now, Doug, Joe, here's a little little test for you. What's the shortest scripture in the New Testament? You know, I knew this. Joe, you, you probably know this. I mean, it's he, he wept. He wept. You got it. Uh, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John 11.35. So... I'm, I want to talk a little bit about, because we talked about those who are crying out for the abominations of the land, I want to talk about tears. There's either the tears, and there's a contrast. There's the tears of the righteous versus tears of the damned. Because Jesus said of the rich man and the, uh, the beggar that, you know, they, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Now, hell is going to be filled with the tears of the damned, but the righteous are going to be uh, filled with everlasting joy where sorrow and mourning will flee away. Now, I want to give uh, an interesting thing to everyone here. I was up early morning just tossing and turning and, and pondering, and instantly the Lord dropped something into my spirit. And he said, Steve, tears are an ocean of emotion. Now, I thought, boy, that's really interesting. Tears are an ocean of emotion. Because in the Word of God, and I'll prove it by Scripture a little later, but what's interesting is God does away with the oceans. That's in the book of Revelation. We'll get there. At the same time as he pours out all the tears of the saints. So what, you know, I think it's, a, it's an old statement that what soap is for the body, tears are for the soul. The righteous, we have tears of joy, tears of thanksgiving, tears of happiness, tears of salvation, tears of victory, tears of gratitude, tears of repentance, tears of favor when something so wonderful happens to you, tears of deliverance, tears of worship, tears of remembrance. That's why people tear up when they think of their father, the mother, the grandfather, somebody who is so important in their life. And then what is there? There are tears uh, of entreaty and tears of our uh, our sorrow over the country. But now, here's the contrast, and these aren't by any means exhaustive. These are what I felt the best. I want you to think about this. Tears are an ocean of emotion. There's something fabulous about studying tears. And again, I never thought of this until the Lord basically put it into my heart a couple days ago. Now, when we divorce both in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. We say, we will not have this man rule over us. There are tears of divorce. There are tears of loss. There are tears of pain. And by the way, the righteous aren't, uh, you know, free of all this. Tears of defeat and failure. Tears of a broken heart. I would say this, one of the most, uh, you know where I'm going with this, David, the most important sermon that I ever heard 
Pastor Langford, well, this is one of the top ten, okay? So, so is, is, and you all need to, who are suffering from brokenness in one way or another, to get uh, broken things by Pastor Langford. It's available from him at the Voice of Evangelism. Probably the most important thing, it will help you to overcome suicide. It will help you to overcome giving up. And I remind myself of that, which is in that, that uh, uh, sermon. So please get a hold of that. I, I mean, I can't tell you. I think it's one of the top two sermons I've ever heard in my life. That's not to flatter David. It's to say that's how heavy the anointing is. Because when Jesus came and declared that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, one of the most important aspects of his ministry was to bind up the brokenhearted. Many people want to set the captives free, but they don't understand that a broken heart is fertile ground for the enemy to keep beating up and destroying people. How about tears of frustration, tears of abandonment, tears of the unknown, tears of a wasted life? I don't know how many times I get emails from people over 65 saying, I wasted my life. My answer to that is, turn your whole heart to Jesus. He'll make the glory of the latter greater than the former. Tears of the unknown. How about this one? Tears of betrayal. How about tears for fears? And I'm not talking about the song or the group. Tears of bitterness. Tears of, of uh, I'm sorry, I said that already, and tears of unbelief. And what's interesting is, is that in the ocean of emotion, what I started to do, Doug, Joe, and Pastor, is basically just try and get a handle on tears. And I want to read Psalm 56, 1 through 10. And, and this is so critical tonight because, you know, as the tears are washed away, there's only one thing that can cleanse our heart from that which will cause us eternal tears and damnation, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know there are people who send me an email, well, that's just a metaphor. No, it isn't. Jesus didn't speak in a metaphor. He was talking about a specific man. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow, swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I quote that scripture quite frequently, probably every other day. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. And that's even before the internet gossip boards. <laughs> they gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know for God, for sure that God is for me. In God will I praise his word, in the Lord will I praise his word. Now, I started to, to again, meditate on the tears, and this is the understanding I got. Everything you are, everything your emotional essence uh, consists of, will manifest itself in tears at some point. So when God takes our tears and ultimately does away with them forever, then what he's taking is literally fulfilling the word of God, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. But if you look at a tear, and you could look at it with spiritual eyes, you would see that, the, that an ocean of emotion, that the 
sum total of your life, every single aspect of your success, your failure, your expectation, your unfulfilled expectation, your desires, your wants, everything is in that tier. Even frustration. Frustration says, I didn't do what I should have done, and I wish I could do what I want to do, but I can't. So... Listen, we come into this world crying, don't we? And we'll either leave it joyfully in Jesus, just like the man at Jim Baker's. He has, I forget his name, Pastor Langford, but he always asks the Lord to let him die, worshiping and what, uh, praising God or singing a song, and the Lord took him during one of Jim Baker's ceremonies. Was it praising God or singing, David? He was singing, blessed his church. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Now I'm leaving you, for God has said it's time. Now that's not how the words go, but that's what happened. So we come into this world crying. What's the first thing a baby does? You know, sometimes you have to suction snot out, and sorry, but that's what I call it, or spank it, or bring it out, but it cries. That's that crying need. We come into this world with needs, but we also need God, and the tears, and, and please God, give the people understanding of where where this is going. The sum totally right. Think about when you cry. Think about the bottom line is when I read to you Ezekiel 9, 3 through 6. They didn't sigh and they didn't cry over all the abominations. Where's the scripture, David, is the same chapter that said God said my people don't even blush anymore because they're so hardened by sin? That's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, okay. So Jer- that's why, you know, Doug, I love going on with Pastor Langford because uh, I just, I don't have to take the time to move my cursor around. And, and so the thing is, he says his people don't even blush anymore. It is so strange to me that there is so much contained in a, a, a tear that it's holy before the Lord. And I'm going to turn it over to you in a minute, David. There is a sacredness in tears. They're not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messenger of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. There's nothing else I know that fits that. And by the way, that was by Washington Irving. There's nothing more that I know that speaks more positively of what tears are all about and why. Oh, I understand that tears, you know, lubricate the eye and stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about. Now, here's what a guy by the name of Dr. Nick Knight said. Tears are a positive uh, representation of who we are. It demonstrates not only our deep emotional connection with our world, past, present, and future, but visibly celebrates that, uh, that I'm sorry, that future. Uh, that the, and, and, and how about the statement, but we can have a good cry. You feel better. And what's interesting, he talks about even the natural painkiller that's uh, what uh, manufactured with a good cry. How about crying your heart out before God? I've, I Listen, I have prayed with David Langford and Kim, and I'm telling you, if you want to pray with someone who knows how to take hold of the horns on the altar, and I have heard David so many times pray with such passion and conviction, that's because his cry of his heart is for souls. He who winneth souls is wise. So 
Jesus is the one that will wipe away our tears. But until that time, it is right, it is holy, and it isn't a sissy thing. I remember, Pastor, I broke down and wept over the slaughter of the innocents, and people called me a very derogatory name. I'm not ashamed to cry. I'm not ashamed to show my humanity. I'm not afraid to say, God, oh God, move so mightily and stop this thing. Yet the, the pride and the arrogance of those in Washington, uh, you know, District of Criminals, they have no shame. They have no tears unless you're Boehner and just, you know, manufacturing it or, you know, a, a happy alcoholic or whatever, but in my opinion. So the thing is, is that, remember how the press used to mock him? So there's something about crying out to the Lord. And, and David, now I'll turn it over to you. Share with the people what God has shown you about lifting their voices to heaven and the tears because they are truly an ocean of emotion. And later I'll deal with the, when the earth that uh, basically will have no more sea. Go ahead, sir. You know, I had an old timer told me one time, he said, tears are for the purpose of keeping a man's head from swelling in pride. And, you know, we all know that Joseph was a type of Jesus Christ. And uh, grade A, Doug, for knowing Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, crying touches the heart of God. Uh, Steve went through a litany at just unbelievable stuff. Kind of reminded me of that sermon when I preach on broken things, you know, broken kites, broken homes, broken relationships, broken marriages, broken dolls, and even the sod has to be broken when we bury people. We have to break the soil and to bury them. But in Genesis 45, then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried. He, he's not shedding tears when it says he cried here, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept, he wept aloud. His, his voice was full of weeping. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. That's, that's how much joy was in him through the brokenness of all the tr tragedies and and severity and the suffering and the things that he went through for for those 13 years till he got to Pharaoh's courts at 30 years of age and then another 7 years uh of the famine and then the, the I mean the plenty then the famine all of this taking place but it says in Genesis 45 and 2 and he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
Tears bring deliverance. In Genesis 37, Joseph has the dream, and the dream shows him the sheaves representing his brothers and his mother and his father falling down, paying obeisance to him. This is what angered them so profusely. And they couldn't stand that. They couldn't even, uh, the Bible said they could not even speak to Joseph peaceably. That's how much they hated him because of what God had touched his life with. Now let me say this. People get upset with, 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 with people whom God has touched. I have nothing to do with the call of God on my life. That was his choice. Steve's choice, Joe's choice, Doug's choice, the platform that, that, that God has afforded Joe and Doug. They, they, they had nothing to do with that. God is the one that does this. All we do is yield to him and allow his will to be fully executed within our lives. But a lot of this is never able to come to fruition because men are prideful and they will not weep. They say, well, that's a sign of weakness. Well, Jeremiah 9, 1 says, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. See, tears touch God's heart. Psalms 30, verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. One person said, that should be M-O-U-R-N. I-N-G instead of M-O-R-N-I-N-G, mourning through brokenness. Psalms 126, 5 and 6, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's exactly what Joseph did. He wept and he brought his sheaves with him. Tears are a type of seed. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I want you to get that. Tears are a type of seed. Women do not have seed. Women have eggs. Men have seed to procreate. But yet God allows men and women both to have seed that are tears. And those tears are very precious to the Lord. As Steve well said, he came to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounded in spirit. And, you know, I, I was telling a, a, a gentleman some time ago, uh, I was in his presence and we were, we were praying. And the Spirit of God began to brood over us. And I could see he was resisting the, the ability to weep. And I said, stop it. You're quenching, you're resisting, you're grieving the Holy Ghost. I am not ashamed to cry. There have been many times in altar services and making appeals, I've become so broken. And people say, well, that's the sign of a weakling. That's why people misunderstand me so profusely. I'll preach so hard and so unyielding against sin, but on the flip side, cry like a six-year-old child. Why? Because of the brokenness. And, and, and God is going to use the tears and the prayers of the saints that have been shed during the Great Tribulation period. Revelation 8 and 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. 
And it was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Prayers and tears that are shed, God is aggregating, God is collecting them, and they're going to be offered up during the great tribulation period. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. There's something that moves the heart of God because Jesus relates to weeping. Jesus wept. And, buddy, he he was a man's man. They they could not kill him. That's how much of a man physically he was. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it up. He actually gave himself up. He gave up the ghost, and it was finished, and he gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. And then he surrendered his life unto death. But praise God, he came back and conquered death in the resurrection. And what I find so profound is that in the millennial reign of Christ, Revelation 21 and 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And as Steve said, there's no more oceans, there's no more sea. When God creates the new heaven and the new earth, John said, I, that there, and their first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. The land will be totally contiguous. There will be no more separation because tears, waters separate us sometimes. But God said, I'm going to wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. David spoke of soaking his couch with tears. I want you to know something tonight. Tears are powerful. I want to go back to Psalms 126 and 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed. God said that's precious seed. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. How many mothers, how many fathers listening tonight have wept profusely over a circumstance with a son, a daughter, or maybe a marriage, or whatever the case might be. You see, when you get in the presence of God, there's something that's profoundly humbling about God's presence. There, there, there's hardly a time that I, I get down to pray that, that I don't weep. I'm not weeping because I'm hurting. I'm not weeping because I'm sad. It's just something about the presence of God that brings it out of me. It's, it's like there's a loss of, of self-control. I, 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 the Spirit of God just broods over me, and it's like wringing out a dishcloth full of water. It just comes out. And, and, I'm, and I'm not ashamed of that. You know, ta- Paul, Paul the Apostle, you know, we, 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 we talk about men and, and, and how great they're this and how great they're that. But Paul said in Acts twenty nineteen, serving the Lord with all humility in mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. This man said with many tears, Paul the apostle, and 
I, I believe when, when, when men and women of God begin to literally weep and cry out to God, something special begins to happen. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I told Steve when we were talking on the phone this morning, there's been times, and, and God knows my heart, if I'm exaggerating, God strike me dead. I've walked to the pulpit, and the Spirit of God just began to brood over me. And I would just start weeping, and the altars would fill up. I didn't say a word. I didn't do anything. I didn't open my Bible. But I walked up there trying to be as sensitive as I could to the Holy Ghost. And I want to go back to what I said about three things. We, we, we quench, we resist, and we grieve the Holy Ghost. If we would start yielding ourselves to God. Now, I, I know we have, as he mentioned, Boehner. And I remember one time Obama feigned a, a little tear while he was talking about something. But, but, but that's not real. I'm talking about when the Holy Ghost moves on people and the Spirit of God grasps their hearts, and the Spirit of God begins to squeeze their hearts, and they become broken, and they begin to weep. I've told this story. I read it many years ago. This pastor's church was growing phenomenally, and all the other pastors in the city were envious, and they were jealous. And one pastor said, I'm going to go over and find out what's going on. And he went to the church, and there was the custodian. And he said, would, would you just take me through this church and show me this church and the facilities and this and that? I want, I want to know why this man's church is growing. And he showed him the church, he showed him everything, and the pastor's reply to the custodian was, he said, I really don't see anything different in this church that's in my church. I, I have all the same stuff. I don't understand what's making such a difference. And he said, oh, if you want to see what makes the difference, I'll show you that. And he took him to a closet where there was a small little love seat, little bench, almost the size of a piano seat. And it was stained profusely and the custodian said that right there is what you're looking for and he said I don't understand the pastor said I don't understand what you mean all, all I see is a, a little stool, a little seat here with cloth, a garment on it it's all stained and what's significant about that he said those are stains of tears that this man has come down here into this closet day after day after day and wept before God. So when David said, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Joseph wept, but he brought his family back in through those tears. And, and, and Steve has struck a divine chord tonight that God has put in his spirit. And, 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 and this is why we should never resist the Holy Ghost. You know, there's nothing more cleansing to me personally 
than to get in the presence of God and become broken and through weeping. I get up, I feel like I am totally washed. I am totally bathed. I mean, I, it's, man, it's, it's like I've been to the cleaners and I've been cleansed again. Just cleansed. By what? Those tears. Crying out to God. And, and that's what it's going to take, folks. It's going to take that kind of sincerity. It's going to take that kind of sincerity. I'm not talking about just being emotional. I'm talking about when the Spirit of God does it. There, there's, there's, there's a vast difference, you know, uh, when, when it's humility. That's why I want to, I use that scripture there in Acts 20:19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Paul said, I serve God with a humble mind. You, you can feign humility. You can feign, pretend humility. But see, God can look at your mind and say, yeah, I know you're pretending because I see your mind. I see, I see your thoughts. They're proud. They're haughty. They're lofty. They're arrogant. But Paul is speaking of himself. He said, I serve God with a humble mind. Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, that a man ought not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of, the, of faith. Paul served God with a humble mind. And, 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 and as far as being a uh, Pharisee, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, as touching the law, he said I was a Pharisee. He said, if anybody has any bragging rights, I have those bragging rights. But, but he said, I count all that stuff but dung. Why? That I might know Jesus and the power of the resurrection and being made conformable unto his death. You know, the other day, I, I, I was teaching and you know, a lot of people really have too much uh, self-indulgence. They're more concerned about themselves than anything or anyone. Paul said in Acts 20, 22, and you've heard me quote this verse scores of times, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bond and afflictions abide me, but none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself. So when Paul said a man ought not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, Paul says, I don't count my life dear unto myself. Now we see a man who was called Peter the Apostle who counted his life more dear to himself when he's cursing and swearing, I don't know who Jesus is. What was he doing? He was counting his life more dear to himself than serving God. Because he was fearful for his life. So he starts cursing and swearing, I don't even know who this man is. And at that point, the rooster crows and the prophecy of God, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But what did he say to Peter before that in Luke twenty two thirty one? He said, Simon Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as sweet, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. The Greek says, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has exceedingly demanded, I give him your soul. 
He wants your soul, Peter. He's desired to sift you as sweet. The word sift there in the Greek means to riddle, to pierce, to perforate, to literally punch holes into. Some of you feel like you've had holes punched through you. But Jesus said, I've prayed that your faith will not fail. Now, his faith failed. You know why? It failed to a degree because he counted his life dear unto himself. And he denied Christ. And what did he do? He left, and he went out, and he wept bitterly. A different type of tears. He was weeping because he failed God. He was weeping. He was broken. Why? Because he failed God. He did what he said, I will never do. I will never deny you. I'm both ready to die or go to prison. It doesn't matter, God. Jesus, I'm going all the way with you. And he said, no. Before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And, I, and, I, and as a man, I can imagine Peter was thinking in his mind, you're dead wrong. Oh, I know you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, because he was told by Jesus himself, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, but I, I can just hear in his mind, Lord, this time you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. Jesus said, yes, you are. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he he denied him to the point of cursing and swearing. I don't know this man. And then, of course, the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. Why was it bitter tears? Because it was tears that showed his guilt. See, and of course... He found repentance. See? He found repentance. And, and, and of course, that's the way it ought to be. The, 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 the tears should be tears of, I'm sorry, God. You'll find all that in the, the 26th chapter of uh, Matthew, verse 75. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said, Thou shalt deny me before the cock crows three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. He was so broken. Why? Because he did the very thing he said he would not do. And uh, I just want to say tonight, uh, I know we're not far from getting up to the top of the hour, don't ever be so proud that you will quench, you will resist, or you will grieve the Holy Spirit and, and have an unwillingness to be broken. Strong men weep because Jeremiah... He, he said, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears. In other words, I, I, I want to be in such a state and place, I just weep all the time, broken. Why? Because of the state of my nation. When you see the state of a, of a circumstance or situation in, 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 in its reality, like it really is, it, it ought to break you. And, and, and tears, God is moved by those tears. I'm telling you, Steve, the Lord has really touched your heart to, to hit a vein here tonight because I sense that. You know, if there was more brokenness, if there was more contrition, if there was more humility, th there's no telling because uh, James 4, 6, the, James said, He resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
And Paul talked about a humble mind. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift thee up. Humility, contrition, contrite. A contrite heart, David said, thou will not despise, in Psalms 56. You know, so many times uh, the Spirit wants to move in our lives, and we bind Him, we quench Him. I'm not going to let that happen to me. I'm not going to give in. I'm, I'm going to resist that. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm, I'm, You know, I said Psalms 56. I meant Psalms 51, the prayer of repentance for spiritual cleansing in the life of David. Because he knew. He knew what God would hear. He, he knew. He said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. That's the true sacrifices of God. You know, we live under the New Testament, so we don't offer animals. But, but when, when the Spirit of God broods over us and begins to break us, we ought to turn loose and let that go, to let it go. As I said, it, it's like a spiritual cleansing. It, it just does something unique for us. Uh, the tears do something that nothing else can do. They, they just they wash away so much. Uh, from within the man. That's, you know, uh, it, it been in a Pentecostal denomination, third generation. I, I've seen so much weeping in the old days. Steve, you know what I'm talking about. Grandmas, oh, grandpas. Amen. They, they get in the altar, and man, they just cry out to God. I mean, they're slinging snot. They don't care. Why? They're crying out to God, because that's the sacrifice that pleases God. And Steve, you know, uh, that that's gone. You, you you don't ever see a preacher in the pulpit shed a tear anymore, or even people in the congregation shed a tear anymore. And and let me tell you, every prayer and every tear that is shed, God is bottling them up. God is saving them. I'm going to give it back to you, Steve, before we get to the top of the hour. Well, you know, interestingly enough, this is this is very cool. This is how magnificent God created human beings in His image and likeness only when we were restored through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this. Emotional tears have special health benefits. Biochemist and tear expert Dr. William Frey at the Ramsey Medical Center in Minneapolis discovered that reflex tears are 98% water, whereas emotional tears also contain stress hormones which get excreted from the body through crying. After studying the composition of tears, Dr. Frey found that emotional tears shed these hormones and other toxins which actually accumulate during stress. Additional studies also suggest that crying stimulates the production of endorphins, our body's natural painkiller, and feel-good hormones. And it's fascinating to me, Pastor Langford, that, that we are now to the point where if people won't cry out to God and true brokenness and repentance, I, I, I am absolutely, uh, you know, how do I say this, heartbroken over the fact that Jesus did so much. And I'll tell you what, that's still my number one uh, prayer before God. Please, God, raise up your people to to 
absolutely exalt thy name, O Lord. By the way, I just got an email from Randy Conway. As most of you know, Tom Horn was, uh, you know, and I were going to be on, and then uh, David Langford so graciously, Tom's mother just passed away, I oh. guess, just in the, in the last hour or so. So that was God's grace and intervention. I'd like to pray for Tom and his family right now, David. Yes. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for the God of all comfort. That's the Holy Spirit. Yes. You're the only one, Holy Spirit, that can comfort Tom, his sister, and his entire family, her grandchildren, her granddaughters, and even her great-grandchildren, and, and all that this woman of God has put into her, her entire family. Lord, you've taken her home to be with you. And, oh, God, only you can comfort Tom. Lord, only you can comfort Nita. But, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for such a revelation, God, to all the family, Lord. I pray that they will see that, Lord God. You, your word says you take it the righteous so that you spare them from the coming evil. Lord, in Jesus' name, I just pray that you will move, that, Lord, Pastor Langford and everyone praying with us for Tom Horn and for his immediate family would be blessed by the power of Almighty God. Lord, you did say it. David quoted it. Uh, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Lord, let them cry. Let the tears flush away, wash away, Lord. All the emotions, Lord, that are... are, are, are built up in their lives, and Lord, give them such a clear and wonderful peace, and such a knowing that they know, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, you are the true God of all comfort, and Lord, I thank you tonight for just intervening in their lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, you know, and I'll give it back, Steve, that Tom lost, I'm sure, an element of covering when his mother passed away, that she prayed for him. We don't understand when we lose saints of God, we lose coverings. And it's important that we continue to be raising up people to cover us in prayer. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I want to, uh, you know, we're getting close to the top of the hour. I want to read Revelation 21, 1 through 6, David, and I'll turn it right over to you. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, I, excuse me, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell well with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Here's the beautiful, beautiful verse, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, Jesus speaking, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. It's interesting, isn't it, that the tears cease in our life, but there's a river of life that flows through the very presence of God in the in the heavens of God, in, in, the, in the heaven that God literally occupies, because we're told we get to drink of that water. Is that not true, Pastor? Go ahead and take it. Amen. Spirit and bride say, come, and let him drink of the fountain of life freely, because it's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
the spirit and the bride. They invite us to come. New Jerusalem is the bride, the Lamb's wife. They invite us to come, and, and we ought to come. And uh, again, let, 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 let me encourage everyone before I give it back to, to Joe or Doug. Nothing can substitute your prayer life. Nothing. And I want to encourage you to try to spend time in prayer. You know, it's not the place, the position, the posture. It's just the fact that you cry out, you talk to God. Because God wants fellowship with you more than you know. And uh, I love to put on some very soft gospel music and turn it down low and, and get in my office and I pray. And sometimes my wife and I, we make it a point to pray together. Uh, but there's nothing in the world that can change circumstances and situations like prayer can. You know, and that's why we pray. And and I want to encourage you to increase your prayer life, your your time in the Word of God, your time in fasting. Uh, these are the very things that built the early church, the New Testament church, and the very thing that built the church and made it what it was, the church today has gotten away from it. it, it it's all about a good time. But true preaching brings conviction, and true conviction brings brokenness and contrition in people's hearts and lives, and that's missing today. And, and I want to get back to that, and I want every listener to get back to that. Guys, I'm going to give it back to you, Joe and Doug. Excellent. Uh, first two hours, uh, Stephen and Pastor Langford. And again, we want to reiterate our support for Tom and his family and our prayers for, for him and his family. Yeah, and if folks really remember, he was supposed to be on tonight, uh, and that schedule change was due to his... Uh, Having to be to be with his mom, and that was a good call, Steve, and good good call um, all around. But uh, indeed, our prayers are with him. Yeah, and uh, we'd ask everybody to uh, take a minute and say a prayer for for Tom and his family. Yes, as uh, you know, uh, lo- losing a parent is something I have not gone through myself. I don't know how difficult it is. And I'm very fortunate that I haven't lost a parent. And uh, Tom's no spring chicken, but you know <laughs> I, I can't imagine it being any easier at his age. No, and and you know especially on the Mother's Day holiday too, losing a mom, and I lost my mom in the early age, and people know this, but 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 you know, um, my goodness, as a matter of fact, my dad passed away 21 years ago yesterday. So the the you know yeah it's uh your grandfather uh but we are blessed folks tonight steve quayle from stevequayle.com and pastor david langford from Dave, uh from the voice of evangelism.com folks don't forget this thursday and friday steve quayle and pastor langford will be on with on the jim baker show as well as next monday and tuesday so this thursday and friday the 12th and 13th and uh the 16th and 17th. Tune into the Jim Baker Show to watch Steve Quayle and Pastor David Langford. Interesting. And Gary Haven's on this week. Uh, yeah. With uh, and while we got Baker. time, I want to I want to do this. Uh, no pigs are not flying in the sky, but yes, you can find Steve Quayle on YouTube. Yes. As well as Facebook and, and Twitter. 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 <laughs> 
And, and you know something that's interesting when, when we take the technology, the, the demonic, we, when we take over the demonic, uh, we, we know, we, we know that, that. And Steve, I mean, there were so many people that were fraudulently, uh, yes, posing yes. as him and, and creating accounts under his name. And it got to the point where I imagine that it's, you might as well just do it yourself and, and actually have a, a, a so, legitimate account, something legitimate then. something something worth it. You know, <laughs> spreading the gospel and and boy, that's that's a great thing. So check that out, Steve right. Quill of Facebook. Is it Gen Six Productions uh, on YouTube, Steve? Is that correct? I don't think so, but you know, maybe when we come back after the hour, I want to make it clear I don't post on it. I have a moderator that's done an amazing job. There are people out there, and it wasn't about the money. It was about the, the, there's a lot of money, you know, stolen under my. It was about misrepresentation. Me, people were putting up some really raunchy stuff, and I said enough. And you know, I'm tired of. of you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by my blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Two very special people, at least, well, to everybody. America's pastor, Pastor David Langford, and Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. Pastor Langford, the voice of evangelism.com. Great people. You know, we closed out the left last hour r- rather uh, abruptly as uh, Steve was talking about his social media before we get back to Steve and before we get back, back to Pastor. I just want to mention, uh, folks, uh, hagmanreportstore.com, hagmanreportstore.com, hagmanreportstore.com. Just go to hagmanhagman.com and click on the link there. Uh, tonight's uh, episode being brought to you by that as well uh, as uh, healthmasters.com americansurvivalwholesale.com but the store is open now folks um, and uh, it, it's uh, it's uh, just our initiative and check it out check out the product descriptions there as well and again as I said we, we kind of closed out the last hour rather abruptly and uh, I'm going to toss it to Steve because uh, Steve go ahead uh, you can explain uh, uh, about the social media uh, uh, aspect of, right. of your ministry and go ahead 
Well, number one, you've heard me say that I don't do Facebook, and by a couple people that specialize in tracking all my links, my my interviews are all over the internet, which I'm grateful to God. But I'm not grateful when people put up really uh, sorted uh, pictures. One lady said, "Do you know what's on your Facebook page?" And I said, "I don't even have a Facebook page." Well, then I was told uh, how many people were basically monetizing it, and even that wasn't the issue. The issue is people stole my identity, and obviously I've got enough slander and everything out there, and I I, I basically, I don't think I capitulated. I just got, let's just say this, righteously indignant. Obviously, Doug, you put me into with someone who is a very gifted, uh, uh, almost like forensic internet uh, investigator, and what I found out was it was absolutely astonishing. It's like pastor, if they would put out a bunch of Jesus-denying sermons and claim you preached them. Well, what they would do is take my stuff and clip it and add their stuff, and then they'd go out and hawk it, and obviously there's a lot of views on some of these things, and so I was uh, basically determined just to take it under my own responsibility. Now, again, I want to make it clear, I do not post or respond to those things. I have someone that takes my videos or takes the radio shows and puts them on those pages so there's an official page, and I I can't tell you how many links have been uh, uh, basically uh, found out and uh, sanitized, meaning taken out of wrong people. Now, some people did it harmlessly, others did it maliciously, so I basically had to do it just to uh, defend what I'm about versus letting others, you know, even even to the point of saying things I never said. So that's why I did it. I don't respond to postings. I don't know what a friend on a Facebook is. I only know one thing. I'm on my face, and the only book I care about is the Lamb's Book of Life. Having saying that, it was a matter of uh, liability also. So the point that I'm trying to make is, is that thank you to uh, my legal uh, team especially, and thank you, Doug, for uh, you know telling me what was going on. Now I'll turn it back over to David. David, go ahead and take it, sir. Thank you, Steve. Um, I want to say something tonight uh, because I've already gotten flack just by the very fact that uh, I went on the Jim Baker show. Uh, I've had some people write me and wrote me off uh, because of what happened in his life 30 years ago. Uh, Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, says a very profound statement. I don't care who it is, what it is. Number one, you have to forgive people. In Matthew 6 and 14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, to forgive is one thing, then to turn around and pile up and buddy-buddy and backslap and carry on, that's, that's another subject. But you must forgive. Because we are told in Romans 12 and 10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Let love be without dissimulation. In other words, let love be without hypocrisy. 
But then in Romans 12 and 18, Paul said, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I understand in the natural, I'm not going to be able to have peace with some people. And the reason I say that is because some people are energized by strife and by contention. There are people uh, who have talk shows, strife, clamor, evil. This is what generates their whole program. They're not about ministry. They're about strife and contention. That's how they get their energy, not an anointing, but an energy to do what they do. And the reason I have... Most people don't know this, but I felt for three years I was to have been on the Jim Baker program, and the fact that I got on was really by mere accident. But for three years I had felt led that I was to be on the man's program. And and the reason I felt led was because I felt I could close up a few holes in some Bible prophecy. But what is impressive about Jim, and, and Steve will tell you this is the truth this is a broken man and the first book he wrote after he got out of prison was I was wrong and I was in Charlotte pastoring at the same time 20 miles of PTL when all this came down and uh, Maximum Bob was the judge and that's why his name was Maximum Bob because he gave everybody the maximum amount of time if you have to fall under his court and jurisdiction. So he gave Jim Baker 45 years of prison. But of all people, Alan Dershowitz, the most liberal Democratic Jew in America, attorney, went and got him out of prison after five years. And he was fully and totally exonerated in everything because I know a lot about what went on down there. It was not him. It was those people around him that were the negative effects. But when a man says, I'm wrong, and asks for forgiveness, if you do not forgive, I don't care what you do. Jesus tells us in Matthew six fourteen there, I'm not going to forgive you of your trespasses. And as I said, it, you don't have to slap, slap them on the back, be buddies, pals, run around together, but you have to forgive. You have to forgive. And many people don't want to do that. And your forgiveness is what causes you to be sick and diseased and infirmed in your body. Because you're letting that bitterness, that unforgiveness, rule and dictate your life. It's like acid in the bottom of a, of a wash tub. It will eat the bottom out and your wash tub is no good. That's what bitterness and unforgiveness is like acidity. It eats away, not at the person that you're not going to forgive. It eats away at you. It eats away at your life, not theirs, yours. And that's the duplicity and the deception of Satan, wanting you to think you're justified in not forgiving that person, or even to the point of hating or disliking that person. I've been done wrong. Steve's been done wrong. Joe's been done wrong. Doug's been done wrong. Every one of us have been done wrong. If you're a living, walking, breathing human being, you've been done wrong. Somebody has done you wrong. Your mama, your daddy, uh, whatever, molested by your dad, molested by uh, an uncle or an aunt or whatever. 
the case might be. We've all been done wrong. But we must learn to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean I have to, as I said, go around and now be the pal and the buddy and run around with them. But I have to forgive them. And, and as I said, Steve and I will be on this coming Thursday night or Thursday, Friday. He's on every network. He's in 180 million households. And then we'll be on Monday and Tuesday of next week. Out of the kindness of your heart, I'm going to ask every listener tonight to shoot an email or drop a note in the mail to Jim Baker and say thank you for allowing Pastor Lankford and Steve Quill to be there because he allowed us to come and to share our hearts. And Steve will tell you, Steve, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pull no punches, did I? You did not pull any punches, and I want to share this. It took incredible uh, fortitude and a revelation from God to Jim Baker uh, on the whole pre-tribulation rapture. David laid it out with seven scriptures, and it was so anointed. By the way, the presence of the Lord there, ladies and gentlemen, if you wonder why we keep bringing that up, is because God wants all people uh, to, to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, David. Uh, everyone there is a type of broken personage. He'd asked me, would I come back and preach a revival? And having come home and prayed, God has done given me the sermons to preach, and fundamentally every sermon is going to be around be around brokenness. Everyone there, that's what was such, such a special thing. Everyone has a broken story to tell you. Everyone. As Jim and Lori both say, they were both Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall, and they both had a great fall, and God put them back together. That's why God's in the business of redemption and restoration. David said, he restoreth my soul. And the reason I embrace the man is because he's the only man that's got the platform that he has in the television media preaching post-trib rapture and trying to get people ready and warning the people. You have to give honor to whom honor is due. You have to respect that. That's why I respect the man. That's why I esteem the man, because he gets beat up every day, too, by his so-called Christian friends and other media ministries who are mocking and criticizing and slandering and all of this stuff, because he is trying to get the church ready for what's coming. And so I'm from my heart tonight. If, if I have any weight in your life, those of you listening, any weight at all, any influence at all, after the programs are aired, would you be so kind to thank them? I'm not asking you to send money. I'm asking you to demonstrate thankfulness. And I'll, I'll tell you why. One of the great sins in the church today is the spirit of unforgiveness and not willing to be thankful. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul made it clear that people would be unthankful and people would be unholy. I don't want to ever be unthankful for God and His blessings in my life. And we see much of that today. I've never seen such a time of unthankfulness. I, I want to be thankful because God took me out of the horrible pit, the miry clay, and He set my feet on a solid rock. God did not have to save me. He could have let me have died in my sin. And, 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 and you know, when I was sharing 
with Jim there on the set how that Joseph was put in the pit. And, and, and I said, Jim, you, you, you were put in the pit. And he looked at me and he said, I just got a revelation. And I said, what's that? He said, they were trying to kill their salvation. They were trying to kill their deliverance, which was Joseph. Sometimes the very thing that God is trying to use to save you, you're trying to kill him. Because you're proud, you're arrogant, you're bitter, you're unforgiving. And God is trying to use a circumstance or a situation to heal you and to bring life. And what is so profound to me about this, and I've shared it and I'll share it one more time and give it back to Steve. After Joseph reveals himself and sends the wagons and all the commodities and the food and everything back to Jacob, and the brethren say to their dad, Jacob, Joseph is yet alive. And it said that Jacob's spirit was revived. And, of course, they went back down, and Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen, which was one of the most uh, flourishing parts of land in Egypt at that time. But that's what he gave them because of Joseph and who he was. But here is what I learned through this. For 17 years, they were down there having dinner, having fellowship, hugging each other, having dinner together, slapping each other on the back, laughing at the dinner table, just having a great time. But just as soon as Jacob died, fear, fear hit those men unbelievably. And they became afraid. And when, they, when Jacob died, here's what they said. Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now he's weeping again. Now he's weeping for a different reason this time. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For I am in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. They, they didn't understand it. But here's what I learned through all of this. They never forgave themselves. Because as soon as Jacob died... They said, certainly, Joseph will requite us of all the evil which we did unto him. So for 17 years, they are reconciled. For 17 years, everything is hunky-dory. But as soon as Jacob died, fear, trepidation, anxiety overwhelms them. They say, he'll kill us now. Dad's gone. The old man's gone. And Joseph is going to get even. But the Bible said, and Joseph wept when they spake at him. He was, those were tears again, Steve. 
Why? Because Joseph was a type of Christ, and he wept because he understood, you guys still don't get it. After 17 years of us being reconciled as a family, you still don't get it. And how many times in life do people just still don't get it? They, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And you can't make them get it. The only way you can get it and get the understanding and get the revelation and get the comprehension is by spending time in the presence of God. Because just as surely as Jacob died, they said, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us. But Joseph said, you meant all this for evil, but God meant it for good. I, he sent me before you to save your life. Jesus is a Savior. He's a Redeemer. Yet he cannot let sin go without punishment either. And, and I want those of you listening tonight to, to try to find the place of forgiving others and forgiving yourself. You know, even sometimes we can forgive others, but we struggle to forgive ourselves. I, I've done some terrible things in my life when I was backslidden away from God. And, and, and the devil, there were times, would try to eat me with guilt and condemnation for some of the things I did. Because I, I, I could never reconcile some of the things I did in sin. It's, it's, it's virtually impossible. And to whom has been forgiven much love, much. That's why I love God so much. Because he's forgiven me for so much junk. I mean, just pure old ranchy, you know, raunchy randy sin. Just, just, just filth. Just, just degradation. But he forgave me. And, and, and I am so blessed to be a child of God. And I had to learn to forgive myself and put the past behind me. And that's the trouble with so many people, that they can't put the past behind them. Thus, Philippians 3, 13, 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't say he did a litany of things. This one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me. Your past is your past. It can never be changed. It's done. It's finished. It's over with. So quit living there. Quit dwelling on it. Get over it. Forget it. If you're washed in the blood, God remembers nothing about it. He doesn't even know about it. Now, how he can do that, I don't know. But he said, I will remember your sins no more. I don't know how God can do that, but he can. And so I just ask you humbly tonight, uh, I encourage you to watch the program. I believe the program with Baker will bless you immensely. But I would, I would invite you to, to stretch out a hand and say thank you for having Steve Quell and Pastor Lankford on there and letting them share their hearts, the Word of God, and the things that God has shown them. Because I want him to be encouraged that what he's doing, just like Joe and Doug, what they're doing, that's why we encourage them, because we are to strengthen the brethren. And so please, I would humbly ask you to strengthen his hand. And I'm not asking you to send him an offering or anything like that, but just say thank you for, for having Steve and, and David on there, because it meant something. You know, And I know that it will touch your heart. There's no doubt in my mind, because Steve was anointed, I was anointed, we, we didn't pull any punches. We shared our heart. And I thank God the way it worked out because now instead of three days, we have four days of programming there. So you'll, you'll get to hear practically everything that was said. And that's so, so just, like I said, drop a note, shoot an email, 
and say thank you for allowing these two brethren to come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and their testimonies with you on your platform. Go ahead, Steve. I'm going to give it back to you. Am I coming through? David, I could barely hear you. I I heard a click, and I don't know, Doug, is my volume okay? Yours is fine, Steve. Uh, Pastor Quayle... or pa- Pastor sorry, pa- Pastor Langford. Oh, please yeah, don't me. call me that, Brother Doug. Please, <laughs> Pastor Langford. Okay. Pastor Langford. Yeah, we're, we're all okay. Uh, Eric uh, opened the gates up a little bit. Come on, Dad. The headset. I had to go. Through. I'm on the regular phone now. I'm holding it by my hand instead of my headset because it went. My battery went dead. Okay. okay. Well, listen. I want everybody to turn with to me with me to Exodus nineteen ten through twenty. I call this the saddest day in Israel's history. I also can tell you this is why God sent Jesus as a second Adam, because no man can see God and live, yet God made an exception to that in Exodus 19. But look how the people respond. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bonds, or excuse me, bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. For who, excuse me, whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned and shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live when the trumpet sounds as long. They shall come to the mount. I preached a whole sermon, Pastor Langford, on touch not the glory unless the glory is in Jesus. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that were in the, or that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in a fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord said to Moses, Up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Uh, excuse me, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain, and, Mo- and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mountain. Sinai, for thou charges us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up on the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down and spake unto them. Exodus 20. And God spake these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that 
God is in the water under the earth. Notice that. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, or nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within thy gates. Now keep in mind, this is all the schoolmaster that leads us to Jesus Christ. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see, and all that is all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear fit uh, false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is in that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Here is the lie, Thou uh, speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And so what's interesting is, is that the children of Israel were questioning whether Moses had really seen God. And when he went up, even though they saw the thunders, the lightnings, even though the first time Moses presented the Ten Commandments, everything that God did to show himself as a king of glory, the religious people rejected. Here's the thing that's going to happen, and here's the prophetic part of this message. The people that had once known the Lord will persecute those who presently know the Lord. When the true persecution comes, it will be the demands of the worldly church to get rid of those pestering Christians that believe in the God of the supernatural. David, I remember when I first went on talk radio 25 years ago or whatever, saying the day would come when the Bible would be illegal. I said the day would come then, I just said it a couple months or weeks ago, whenever, that it will be a capital offense to, to own the Bible. It will be a capital offense to say Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what's going to happen is already happening. Now I want to take uh, Hebrews 12, 14 through 22, and then I'll turn it back to you, Pastor. Hebrews 12, 14 through 22. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Let lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Ladies and gentlemen, Esau was very, very close to the living God. 
Esau obviously uh, was jealous of his brother, Jacob. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing because he was the eldest, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For you not come unto the mount that might, uh, that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which, uh, with which voice they that heard and entreated the world should not be spoken to them anymore. In other words, the children of Israel heard the literal voice of God, saw the literal presence of God, and said, we don't want to deal with that. Moses, you just tell us what to do. That's the average fate of people that go to church. They don't go to church to meet with the King of Glory, the great physician, the blood of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. They go to be entertained. For they could not endure, verse 20, that which was commanded. If so, much as a beast touch a mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust, thrust, I can't say that, thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Hebrews is a, an amazing uh, book in that Paul answered all the religious people of his day. And David quoted the scripture. Paul said, even though I've known all this stuff, trained under Gamaliel, I'm paraphrasing, you know, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, yet I purposed in my heart to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What we're telling you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is basically this. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, God speaking, saith the Lord. Without him, I can, we can, you can, and all of us can do nothing. But with him, they that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Go ahead, David, take it. You know, Steve, when you were there in Exodus, reading there, and the people, at verse, I think it was 20, uh, or 19, no, 19 uh, they said, we, we don't want to hear the voice of God, but let God speak to you, and then you speak to us. Well, this is where the phraseology and the term came, thus saith the Lord. The prophet, the seer, the sage would get in the presence of God and God would speak to him. Ezekiel 3.17, Son of man, I have made thee therefore a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore hear the words at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, I would love personally to have had the relationship or the potential relationship that Israel had to literally hear the voice of God audibly. Now, I hear the voice of God in my spirit. But I'm talking about an audible voice, just like you hear our voices on this radio program tonight. The people did not want that because it was so convicting, it was so powerful. They said, Moses, let God speak to you, and then you come tell us. And this is where the phrase and the, the terminology came and the prophecies came, thus saith the Lord. When you're listening to programs such as tonight and we're inundating you with the word of the Lord we're simply doing that we're saying thus saith the Lord and you can take that lightheartedly or you can take that with sincerity and with great gravity and say you know what I better adhere to the word of the Lord because it is the word of God that's why I preached 
the Bible the way I preach it. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charged thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach the word. And so we've been charged to preach the word. And, of course, we all know there's such a famine of the word of God. You can't hear a pure word anymore. You hear a polluted, compromised, watered-down, diluted word today. And that's not going to help you. You need to hear the purity. Anything, and I said this before, we'll say it again, is at its greatest strength in its purest form. And so what Steve and I have tried to do tonight is share with you the Word of God in its purest form, thus making it at its greatest strength to have the greatest impact and effect upon your life. We, we, want, we want to be used of God to change people's lives. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God is in the business of redeeming and saving and creating right hearts and clean spirits. That's God's business. And the way he does that is he chose the foolishness of preaching. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that God called me to be a preacher. Uh, yeah, when I was away from God, backslid from God, I, I didn't want to be a preacher. But God chose the foolishness of preaching. First Corinthians one eighteen for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God unto salvation. Preaching to a lot of people is foolishness, but that's that's what God chose. So you can look at this and say, well, this is foolishness. This is this is absolute foolishness. Well. That's what God chose. And you can look at it in the light of being foolishness. Or you can look at it as being, hey, God is speaking to me. You know, Paul, uh, to the church at Corinth in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, he said, Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are all laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And so, one waters, one plants, but God gives the increase. And so, that's what we're trying to accomplish. And I always want to be mindful and thankful of Joe and Doug and their willingness to allow Steve and I to come and share the Word of God. Uh, you know, we, we, we do suffer our attacks. Joe and Doug, they get beat up just like everybody else. I get beat up. Steve gets beat up. But we're, we're being beat up for the, all the right reasons. We're trying to do that which is right. And, and I don't that doesn't bother me. I've come to the place in my life that that doesn't move me. It doesn't bother me anymore. Because I only have so much time left on this side of eternity. And I'm going to do whatever I can to try to help get people into the kingdom of God. As Steve said earlier, he that winneth souls is wise. And if you're a wise person, uh, you, will, you will help and you will do your part to win souls. Now, everybody's not a preacher. Everybody's not a teacher. Everybody's not a speaker. 
but you can help support the work of God to help get the message out. And uh, and I thank God for the brethren that are all doing their part to try to get the word of God out to touch the hearts and lives of people. There's coming a, an event that's going to change the world before Jesus comes. And I'm not talking about the Great Tribulation. There's going to be something that's going to take place that's going to get everyone's undivided attention. You're not going to be scatterbrained. You're not going to be on your phone. You're going to be looking to God and His Word because it's going to be that powerful and that catastrophic and that moving that people are going to say, what is going on? Two things will happen. God is going to allow this event to drive you either to Him or it will drive you away from Him. Because in the first of the year, after I came off my fast in January, God put something into my spirit, very simple. You're either going to become a goat, or you're going to become a sheep. You're not going to stay in the middle ground anymore. And I believe because of God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's pure judgment, Genesis 18:25, shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right, God is going to allow an event to push us to one side or the other. And, and you will go to one side or the other, because in the judgment, Matthew 25, the sheep are put on the right hand, the goats are put on the left hand. And he's going to say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting darkness. And to the, those on the right hand, you know, enter into the kingdom of God, eternal life, that you'll reign with, with me forever. And so this, I don't know what the event will be, but I promise you, there's, there's something coming. And it's going to get everybody's attention because it will bring fear and consternation, anxiety, trepidation. Because Luke 21, 25 said, men's hearts would fail them for fear, looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. And I don't know what it will be. Uh, I asked Steve the other night, I said, you know, what do you think God's doing with Trump? Because I, I don't have any clarity, but Steve, share with them what you share with me, Steve, about what you feel like God's doing with Donald Trump. I believe that God is literally using him as a prosecuting attorney to show the hypocrisy of the you know Republicans, the Democrats, and I believe he's actually, if you will, raised up by the Lord to fulfill the word that, that you know that God gave me years ago. And the the fact is simply, David, that before God allows Russia and China to destroy the United States, He's going to reveal the sins of the leaders and the sins of the people before their God and, and the sins of the leaders before the people. That's happened. That's a fulfillment. I got a I got an email the other day that said, nothing you say ever comes to pass. I said, oh yeah? The people that say that don't even take the time to look at the point we're in. Where are we in? Apollyon, Abaddon, the destroyer, has already destroyed the military. He's already destroyed the family. He's put everything that's an abomination of God before it. He mocks Jesus. He mocks the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He claims to be a Christian, but he's not. He even said his Muslim faith in George Stephanopoulos. The tree is known by the fruit it bears. And just like the scripture I read earlier, ladies and gentlemen, this country is ripe unto judgment. 
president. I, I, maybe God is giving us a time out with Donald Trump. And by the way, you can pray for him too. God can absolutely turn that man's heart. Doesn't the scripture teach David that the hearts of the kings are like rivers of living water and God that's, directs them wherever he will? That's right. It's in the hand of the Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I just think that this may be a reprieve. That, that, that this man, you see, God used Pharaoh, God used Nebuchadnezzar, God has always used heathens in his plan. Nehemiah got favor from the king to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem. Yep. So, you know, God can use anybody, anything, and that's why Revelation 17. 17 has always been so powerful to me for God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will you know God put it in Donald Trump's heart to run for president see men do things that they think oh I'm only doing this because this is what I want to do well Steve well said the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord like a river he can turn the course as he will because he's God no, nobody can do that but God and, and that's why the principal part of knowing who God is, is to fear Him. Because He can put something in your heart. And, and you think, well, I'm just doing this because this is what I want to do. Oh, no. No, no God can put it in your heart, and, and you, will, you will do that because that's God's will. And uh, so God may be giving us a reprieve. Uh, I don't know. This was a leap year for America. This was a leap month for Israel because Passover was April the 23rd but the church and I hate to use the word Easter they celebrated Easter a month before Passover so that shows you how skewed the Gregorian calendar is with the Jewish Hebrew lunar calendar and uh, I want you to understand that because that is significant because every 2.7 years Israel has to add a leap month to their calendar to keep it synchronous so, you know, you people out there saying, well, I'm keeping the Sabbath. Well, if you celebrated resurrection back in March, you missed it, because it was really in April. Because the go look at Passover was on April the 23rd. So, uh, these, well, I'm not going to go there. But the point is, God is getting ready to do something. And uh, God's going to use his people. He's going to use heathen people that will open doors and do things and just like he used Pharaoh and gave him a dream and troubled his mind he brought Joseph up there and Joseph became second in command of all of Egypt but he perplexed the heathen's mind to the degree he had to seek counsel and the butler said oh I remember my fault this day there's a man in prison that can interpret dreams God has the ability to trouble men's minds till they seek out godly counsel or they, they can be like Saul and go after a witch you know that's what backslidden people do but it's the heart of again the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord so let's do remember what's coming up this fall and let's pray for divine protection and for divine guidance because you know I, I'm concerned that uh they would like to assassinate Donald Trump. I really believe that. Uh, and with El Chapo saying he would get even with Donald Trump for all of his uh, verbiage about building a wall, uh, they've got the 
the, 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 the man, the, the system installed in place to accomplish their goals. But God can still divinely protect and watch over uh, Donald Trump. But God can certainly use the man to give this nation one more chance. You think about what his little cliche is, make America great again. America will not be great because of economics, production, etc., etc. It'll only become great if God is in it. If God is not in it, it will not be great. So I want you to think about that. Steve, I'm going to give it back to you and or to Joe and Doug and let you guys finish it out. My voice is getting kind of tired. Thank you, David. God bless you. I want to, Doug, I'll, I want to read one of Randy Conway's poems. I'll post this in the alert. Uh, and it's called Hearts of Stone. Fraudulent smiles on bitter faces. A heart of stone the flesh encases. I see cold eyes, just reflections of within. I envy not the lives of such cold and angry men. Pretending all is well while the nation revels in wickedness. The conscience of the people is seared and they love viciousness. Lacking wisdom with necks too stiff and hearts too hard to learn. The message of the gospel the foolish men have spurned. Without repentance has not our future been written long ago? To become a hissing in the eyes of the nations because to sin we choose to hold? The extent of our grievances are too numerous to make a comprehensive list. But there is yet time to seek the Lord and the enemy to resist. However, time is fleeting and the length of our days is not ours to to choose. We cannot afford the gamble in waiting, for there is too much to lose. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Today is the day for men and nations to repent before the final bell has tolled. Randy Conway. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to work on a, a link. It'll go up on my site as soon as we can. Um, the webmaster gets it done. It's going to be poems by Randy Conway. And I asked Randy to basically put them in the time sequence that God gave them to him. And this is a pretty amazing thing. There's another one I'll post on my uh, website tonight on the alerts, but I want her, I'm sorry, under dreams and visions. Because again, and most people don't know this, in some of the original books, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and other in the Old Testament, there's actually a book called the Rhyming Bible, and in Hebrew it rhymes. So uh, Randy, God bless you. Thank you. You know, only God can melt or soften a heart of stone. And that's what we're doing when we pray. And guess what? Nothing softens a heart of stone more than the tears of repentance and to be known. And I'm not trying to do what Randy does, only he can do it. But remember this, the pagans, the haters of God, they revel in the book of death, in the book of the dead. We marvel that our names are written in the book of life. Doug, God bless you. Joe, God bless you. And go ahead and close it out because, again, I'm like to the point where my voice will go and my I've got a uh, uh, just a, a jaw that locks up sometimes so lock jaw by the grace of God people have been blessed remember this it's not what we say it's what you do with what we say seek the Lord while he may be found blessings to you Doug blessings to you Joe thank you David good night God bless you Steve thank you thanks Steve Pastor Langford thank you so much God bless you you know, Pastor Langford had has his own radio show, and of course, he had uh, done the radio show earlier today. So, uh, not much time in between, and of course, uh, talking on talking for three hours plus an hour, it's a big job. So, thanks. There's so much for Pastor 
Langford and uh, Steve Quayle, both men of integrity, men of character, and, and certainly we really appreciate their time here. Just um, to uh, uh, give you guys a uh, heads up for what's coming up this week, we have Greg Jackson tomorrow for the first two hours, followed by Stan Dale. Wednesday, we have Steve Quayle back with us again with Gary Haven, the right. um, guy behind the movie Amerigeddon. And we got a, a sneak peek at Gary's the movie. A, you know what, Joe? Gary's a, just a fantastic guy. Uh, the film, the Marageddon, just so people know, um, Chuck Norris's son had uh, uh, directed that. But Gary really, he, he really uh, furnished a lot of the funds for the movie. And if it's not, the movie's coming out on February, what, 13th, I believe it is. Or February, May. What's wrong with me tonight? <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, on the thirteenth of uh, May. So, five, uh, really, four days from now. Yeah. Select theaters. Yes. Um, yes. But everyone should really see it. I, I mean, really. Um, it's interesting. It is very yeah, interesting. Yeah, we got a chance to see it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a review of it, and, um, and I think it's, it's well worth it. Well worth it, but you're right. We we so so okay. So and tomorrow, I'm sorry, tomorrow, Greg Jackson, yeah. two hours, then Standale, right? <clears throat> Wednesday, Steve Quayle right. and Gary Haven, right? Thursday, we have uh, Michael Snyder, right? He has uh, he's a great writer. He has a website, and his website is called where I got it right here. I want to make sure I got it right. Oh goodness, where did I put it? I believe it's the end. Yeah, it's just, sorry about that, but and regardless. So a, a full week planned yeah, for you as well. Uh, folks, some of the headlines, and, and it's interesting, Pastor Langford brought up this fall. We're seeing some pretty dire headlines here. Or, or you're not seeing them. If, if you're not, you should be plugged into them. Um, the the economic aspects, the economic crises that we're seeing is there. It's extreme. We have, of course, um, terrorists now have drones. If you haven't seen that. I'm sorry, Michael Snyder's website, end of the American dream right. dot com. Right. End of the American Dream dot com. I seen yeah. him on Alex Jones recently. I don't know that he does much radio interviews, but he does a lot of great writing. No, no, he, he does. A, he's a fantastic writer. Um, so, yeah, and, and then of course, um, but as we were talking about too, the uh, the the economic pending economic uh, issues. What do you mean? The stock market's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gas is only what rose fifty cents this last thirty days. I mean, yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, when, it's gone up tremendously here. Yeah, uh, since the uh, end of March until now, so maybe five and a half weeks. It was a dollar ninety five. It's up to two forty five here. You know the the fire up in Canada, folks. Yeah, um, I, I I've got some very strong suspicions about that. I don't think. I, I mean, I, I've gotten a couple of emails here by listeners, and we have a tip. Uh, and I want to thank JD for putting that up there. Uh, tips at Hagman and Hagman dot com. But um, the, the the fire in Canada that uh, is against Fort Fort McMurray. There's a lot more to that story than than you're being told. Eighty thousand were evacuated yeah. initially. They say the size of the fire is due to double by Wednesday. 
this is no small matter, and, and this this has a bigger story to it, and has a, a very sinister aspect to it. Um, uh, also, um, ISIS. Understand, ISIS is in America. Well, they uh, in Syria, ISIS executed a seven-year-old boy. Yes, yeah, um, for blasphemy. So, you know, uh, horrific, horrific. All of these in the headlines. North Carolina governor, yes, not backing down on the transgender bathroom issue. Issue the uh, yes. governor of North Carolina is now suing the federal government over the funds that they're trying to withhold. And Loretta Lynch issued a statement today. Yeah, it's very interesting. On that, we'll, keep, we'll keep get Greg's take it. on that tomorrow. All right, HagmanReportStore.com. Thank you, Global Star Radio Network. Thank you, everyone. Eric the Tech. God bless.